Hey, good morning and welcome to Breakthrough Walls. I'm Ken Walls and I'm your host. And today I have a very special guest joining us from Los Angeles, California, Mr. Jonathan Goldhill. So stay with us. Be right back. And we're back. Let me bring Jonathan on. Jonathan, welcome to the show. Thanks, Ken. Happy day to you. Happy morning. Yeah, happy happy afternoon. Friday, Friday. Yeah, Friday, end of the week. Hey, directly after this, I'm hopping in the car and heading to Nashville. <laughs> so, yeah. Well, so, better um, than hopping on a plane, right? Yeah, I know. I don't, I don't do that. But, um, so, so Jonathan, I, I started this show about two and a half years ago and, and it was, I started probably a little bit selfishly. It's, it was to help people get unstuck. Mm. And at the time it was probably more about helping me get unstuck. (laughs) You know, I, I, I bring people on, they come on and tell their life stories about how they've hit these these obstacles in life and how they busted through them and, and, and overcame them. And so that's what this is all about. It's your life story, man. Yeah. So, so let's start with where you were born and raised. So born and raised in New York, a suburb of New York city, about 20 miles out. And, uh, yeah, I spent my first 18 years of my life in that area in New York. Yes, uh, Scarsdale, Mamaroneck, uh, Westchester County is a uh, affluent suburb of, of New York City, yeah. and not a bad place to grow up. So, nice. Yeah, I, I keep getting people on the show here recently from New York. It's crazy. Like wow. it's all of us, all of a sudden. That's because there's a lot of us, Ken. <laughs> there, there are a lot. There's a lot. So, um, uh, as a matter of fact, the other day I was telling, I've only been to Manhattan like one time I drove out there for a business meeting, but I had other stops in PA on the way back to Ohio here. And, and so I drove and, and <laughs> wow, yeah. what a trip. it's a wake up call, right? It's like, well, wow, all these people, all this stuff going on and big high rises and yeah. And I, I know I was being a tourist because I FaceTimed my wife while driving down 34th Street. I'm like, this is where the Thanksgiving Day Parade is. And yeah, like, yeah, exactly. Yeah. You know, and, and I almost hit a traffic cop. That was awesome. Oh, uh, wow. Well, you know, this is the first year in, I think, 75 years that the Macy's Thanksgiving Day Parade has not happened. Can you believe it, so, man? It's yeah. Crazy. Yeah. It's crazy. Oh, look, we so, just got a note from Bill Flynn, a friend yeah, of ours. <laughs> yeah, he's watching us over on LinkedIn. Bill, thanks for referring us, man. Yeah. So, so, um, so yeah, you, so you grew up in, in the greater New York area. Did you go to college? Oh, yeah. Oh, I okay. did. I went Where'd to college. Go? So, I went to college first in Massachusetts in the beautiful, I'm being sarcastic, town <laughs> of uh, Worcester, Massachusetts, arguably the ugliest city in North America. And I uh, went to a oh, yeah, private uh, liberal arts college called Clark University. And, and then I went west, Ken. I went west to California. I checked one of the boxes on the University of California application, ended up in Santa Barbara on the beach. And I said, not going back to that little ugly city. I stayed and I've been here pretty much ever since. So <laughs> you and you'd never been to California before that? I had been to California as a, let's see, uh, with my family on a cross country trip when I was younger, like maybe nine or 11. Yeah. And when I was 18, I went to California, like backpacking all the, uh, you know, a Greyhound bus tour with a backpack. And I remember the, uh, the AAA 
uh, or I remember the, yeah, the AAA guide that we had, the road atlas. And the yeah. first sentence was, is California is not a state, it's a state of mind. And so I had that, you know, they talk about a New York state of mind, I guess yeah. it's from a piece of uh, music. So I had that California state of mind and I ended up here 42 wow. years ago. You, you know, back to New York for a second. And, and you just reminded me of something because I kept, I, I remember that that song kept just, playing through my head while I was in, in New York. Right. But, yeah. And, and I, Billy I Joel, New York state I, of mind. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Right. Yeah. So, so, but I, I, you know, um, I, so I, I, the only thing I knew about New York was people got murdered and robbed and mugged a lot. Like that's the only thing I knew. So right. I was expecting to get murdered or mugged. Like, you know, and look, you're still here. I know, right? So, so, but I, so I was on uh, whatever the 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 street. I, I had a meeting. It's a very uh, affluent area, and 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 I, I so I'm on this this. I park in this parking garage, and I'm walking, and everybody was so nice. I know. It's- I'm like, this is a setup, man. They're just setting me up. They know I'm from out of state. They're setting me up to drag <sighs> me into an alley and mug me. <laughs> that didn't happen to no, people are so nice there man it I, blew know. Me away. I know well they're not so nice they're like get out of my way and uh kind of like you know they're very direct yeah, um, they're very direct yeah but yeah. yeah but i've had the same impression of israel i like you know but there's shootings and killings every day like why would someone want to go to israel it sounds so dangerous and people are like you know that's just that's the only news that you hear so yeah. in ohio that's the news that you hear about new yorkers is like <laughs> yeah. you know but uh, yeah, we turn off the news and go milk cows here. So, but um, yeah. yeah, well, when I grew up, they were lighting buildings on fire in the Bronx every every night. It was like every it was like wow, you know, all these buildings were on fire, and I, I don't wow. really remember why, but I assume it had to do with the uh, the living conditions. They were not too great. Wow. So 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 you you ended up in Santa Barbara. Yeah. Um, yeah. Seems like I remember Johnny Carson talking about Santa Barbara all the time. You know, uh, that I don't remember, but uh, I did end up in a town later, just about 15 years ago, Calabasas. And Mm -hmm. uh, Jimmy Durante, do you remember Jimmy Durante? Oh, yeah. Yeah. Piano player. And he always used to say uh, at the very end of his show, um, say goodnight, Mrs. Calabash. And that was, he was referring to his wife in Calabasas. So, wow. Uh, yeah. Very cool. Very yeah. cool. There's, a lot um, of there's my, my friend, Jamie, she's out in your neck of the woods. So yeah, well, um, she's, yeah. she's texting us that Santa Barbara is gorgeous. It literally is one of the most beautiful places you've ever been. It's like paradise. Mm-hmm. Never yeah. been there. I've uh, never been there. Yeah. 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 Well, so, so you, um, so you ended up in Santa Barbara going to college yep. out there. Yep. Um, what did you, what did you study in college? So I was a sociology major Okay. and I went to the university of California because I was told that if you wanted to study sociology, that the UC school system had the top sociology departments in the country, mm. like number two, three, four, I think it was after Harvard and maybe Chicago. Yeah, and so that was appealing. And someone just told me recently that UCSB has the number one sociology department in the country. So, um, yeah, wow. So you know, and what was that good for? You're going to ask, like, what does someone well, do with a sociology yeah, degree? Well, you know, and my wife's on here defending Ohio. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Hey, yeah. I've never, you know, I never yeah. even saw any cornfields. I've seen yeah. cornfields. I've seen cornfields out in eastern Long Island, but never in Ohio. Yeah, there's lots of cornfields, but there's way more than that. It's a beautiful yeah, state. I'm, I'm but, sure. But um, yeah, I, you know, I remember I I didn't go to college, but I remember sociology in high school being one of my favorite classes, mm. and and I also remember um, the the I forget what it's called, but it, it's basically the teacher told one student a story, a short story about some event. And then in out in the hallway and then another student comes out and they repeat it and it goes around, you know, 20 times. And by the the end of this, this thing, the story is not even close to what it was originally. Yeah. yeah. 
And 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 that's the one thing I remember. You're like Ken. There's a lot more to sociology than. Oh, uh, I don't remember that part. I remember that in grade school is like the telephone game. <laughs> yeah, and, yeah, so, yeah. It got to the other end of the. Yeah, but you know, and I do remember I had a a critical uh, roommate who I've reconnected with recently, who was a Yale uh, grad. He was a Yale graduate and was doing his uh, master's work. And okay. he said, what's sociology? That's the quantification of the obvious, isn't it? And I said, <laughs> not, not exactly. So, uh, you know, I, I was a student of urban sociology, which yeah. was a little bit like urban geography, was the formation of cities yeah. and how they were formed and, you know, how wealth was distributed. And, and then somewhat of a student of political sociology, which is a lot about around wealth distribution, uh, that's pretty much what I remember of it. You know, I, I was a progressive liberal left leaning uh, individual who was also an activist in college. Wow. And so, yeah, I was I came here right after Proposition 13 passed, which is a famous uh, Howard Jarvis tax initiative. Mm -hmm. And uh, it cut and froze property taxes. And I was angry that as a tenant, one, I was paying so much in rent and two, uh, rents were going up, even though property taxes were frozen. So, like, what the heck is that all about? And so, I organized a, uh, I organized a tenants' rights uh, organization and started doing a lot of research on the concentration of ownership of uh, rental properties in our slumish college town. And wow. So, uh, yeah. So that was what I did for wow. my college uh, work. Wow. Interesting. Yeah. Are, you, are you still organizing these things? And yeah, no, I stopped organizing it. You know, had someone told me that uh, you could make it all the way to the presidency, maybe I would have continued. But uh, no, yeah. um, no, I was a, I was pretty much of an activist and an idealist, and organized a lot of uh, grassroots causes during my twenties, yeah. and then I, I grew up and yeah. uh, and went to business school, and and then got a real job so to speak. Yeah. Yeah. So, uh, yeah. Yeah. But it's funny how, how life does that to you, you know? Yeah. Right. Well, you, yeah. Kinda. A little makes you respond when you have to be responsible and make yeah. uh, like a rent or a car payment things. Yeah. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Yeah. So, so you went back to school, you went to business school. Yeah. 10 um, years later, almost. Yep. Wow. And so you got a business degree as well. Yeah, I, I really was interested in entrepreneurship. I was passionate about entrepreneurship. And uh, I don't know how I went exactly from community organizing to being interested in entrepreneurship. But honestly, I think it was around uh, organizing small businesses and helping mm -hmm. small businesses and thinking like, okay, well, I've tried to change all these disenfranchised, unempowered groups of people. Well, let me see if I can organize small businesses, and really, that's what I did. I went back to university. I went to the University of Southern California, USC. You know, the Trojans, the big football yep. school. Yeah. And uh, studied entrepreneurship. They had one of the top ten entrepreneur programs in the country, and I studied uh, management consulting. And then I combined the two, and I've spent the next thirty years consulting wow. entrepreneurs. So. So, um, so you own your own consulting firm. I do. I do. Yeah. I ran a consulting firm when I first got out of school for 10 years. It was okay. a nonprofit economic development firm. Okay. And uh, we provided consulting or counseling, training, mm -hmm. entrepreneurial training, and, and financing to small businesses. Okay. And uh, actually, that was uh, one of the success stories in my career. Um, it was taking a small group of just a few of us and turning it into a group of 30 to 40 people with, uh, you know, we went from like nothing in assets and a hundred thousand dollar annual budget to a uh, $4 million annual budget and $7 wow. million in assets. So, wow. Yeah. So then, but, oh, but at some point you decided to start consulting now when you're consulting are you talking about 
what size companies are you consulting with? So, startups? you know, back then it was startups. It was early stage. It was mom and pop, uh, family yeah. owned. Sometimes we'd get into a, a two to ten million dollar company and yeah, and help them with financing. But typically, they were a little bit more sophisticated than we were. But uh, I mean, we had six hundred. At, I, I counted 600 adults who went through our entrepreneur training program. Wow. And so, uh, you know, I was teaching finance and strategy and I was teaching business planning and then some marketing classes to them. Eventually I taught the whole curriculum. Yeah. But, uh, yeah. Um, so, you know, if you're a small business, uh, if you're, if you're a consultant, and you've done small business, then you you start and you work with small ones. But yeah. I mean, today I only work with established companies. Usually, they've been in business at least five, usually ten or more years. Yeah. And yeah. so, uh, and and they're looking to grow suddenly or grow yeah. significantly. And what do you, what are some of the the things that you work on with with them? So the number one and number two things that I work on is first of all making sure they have the right people in the organization and make sure those right people are doing the right things. So do they have a really clear job description with, with clear accountabilities and are they hitting their numbers and uh, do they fit the values of the company? Are they a good culture fit? So we do a lot of work around the people and getting the right people in the right seats, doing the right things. And then the second thing is, is teaching them what I call execution habits. And these are basically the habits of getting things done, setting yeah. daily, weekly, monthly, quarterly, annually, you know, three-year priorities and driving towards the accomplishment of those priorities and holding people accountable towards meeting those priorities. So everyone knows what their numbers are that they have to hit. Everyone can answer, you know, do they have a good week or month or year? Um, and so it's all about this execution. And so that's, what you might call time management, priority management, uh, task management, people management, it all kind of rolls together. Yeah. So those are the two primary things. So um, do you have a focus on sales at all or, or is that? Yeah, so uh, for many years, I've worked with a lot of clients on sales and marketing. Yeah. I, for some reason, I think when clients come to me, they've already gotten most of their sales and marketing techniques or, yeah. or methods pretty well drilled down and, and refined. Uh, they're not refined. So we might do some refinement on like, who's your ideal customer. That seems to be a really hot topic. Yeah. Like, uh, you know, who's the one that gives you the optimal amount of, uh, of income and profit and who's the one that you find would refer to other people and lo is loyal. So we do yeah. some work around that, yeah. but for the most part, their sales and marketing is pretty well organized, but they the wheels are kind of coming off because they don't manage their people. They don't have clear processes. Nobody yeah. does the same thing the same way twice. So it's a it's a lot around you know refining their process uh, yeah. or developing processes and improving their profitability. So what are some of the um... I mean, at this point, you, you've you've made life seem like it, it's just been a walk in the park for you with no challenges. <laughs> <laughs> life is never a walk in the park. Um, if when it, and when it is, you should smell the roses because it's glorious. Yeah. yeah. But no, life is challenging, especially today. I mean, this has yeah. got to be one of the toughest times that um, we're all facing. And yeah. uh, um, I've actually had to be pretty rigorous around developing some morning routines yeah. so that my day goes the way I want it to go yeah. because we're really isolated right now. Yeah. And this is not, you know, my business has never been an easy business. It's always required a lot of effort in terms of marketing, in terms of, you know, getting people's attention. When yeah. I started coaching, nobody even knew what a coach was. So I'd have to use the analogy of a sports coach. Yeah. Now it seems like, Everyone's a coach working yeah. from home, doing a Zoom meeting, and they've got some expertise. So I've really had to refine that message. It, it's it's never been easy. And then, yeah. gosh, I've had certainly personal challenges, uh, sure. parenting and, and raising a family. Uh, uh, those were some of my biggest challenges. Those can be challenging. 
Yes. <laughs> very, very challenging. I know. Um, so, so you, I guess, what do you think, um, you know, what are some of the things that you see holding small business owners back from, from succeeding? I, I well, yeah. What do you think? What do you think? I think, yeah, you, you hit the nail on the head with the question. What do you think is holding small emphasis, yeah. small yep. business owners back? Yep. Well, so small thinking holds small businesses back. If you yep. think like a small business, you're going to do things small. You're going to play small. Yep. Someone told me the other day, and we've this is an often repeated phrase in our business when we're talking to people who are trying to play big, which is, do you play to win or do you play not to lose? And, you know, I think that for me, in my, like so you asked about challenges to be really yeah. vulnerable and honest i think i've played not to lose most of my adult life yep and when i was younger and more idealistic and was involved in starting some companies and and trying to make things happen i played to win but once i got somewhat of a comfort level i think maybe once i started consulting I played not to lose and I was trying to get my clients, um, help my clients who were starting to play not to lose also because they were coming to me because they needed safety and security and could you develop a business plan so that we do it right? And so you don't want to make a mistake on their dollar and you don't want them to mis make a mistake on their dollar. So you play not to lose. So that kind of thinking is, um, well, it's very uh, reptilian, maybe, in the brain. It yeah. protects you from having anything really bad happen. But you're not going to create a, a unicorn, which in the yeah. business world today means, you know, like a billion-dollar co valuation company. Yeah. Yeah. You're not going to create anything really big. And so that thinking small is what keeps small businesses, you know, when small. The reason why 96% of all businesses in America are under a million dollars in revenue is because a lot of people are just approaching their business with a vision of just like, I'm just going to put food on the table. I just need to make enough money to, you know, support my family. They're yeah. not thinking like, I'm going to come up with something that's going to change the world, that's going to innovate, that's going to disrupt. I mean, how many people are thinking like, Benjamin Franklin or Thomas Edison or, you know, very yeah. few of us. So, so I you think know, that's a big thing is that the mindset is huge. I, I, you just nailed it, man. I, I, you know, I'm a coach, I'm a business <laughs> coach and, 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 um, years, about six years ago. Um, I don't know if you know who Grant Cardone is, but he's sure. a buddy of mine. Mm -hmm. And, and so I was in Grant's office. It's a long story, but I was down there years ago when I first met him <clears throat> and, and he coached me for three hours. And one of the things that he said to me is, what are you hiding from? <laughs> and I'm like, what, what? What, what, I'm sitting in your office, dude. I'm not hiding from anything. Yeah. And, and, but you know, the way he, he explained it is like, like you don't have a fan page. You don't have this. You're not doing this and this and this on social media. And you know, what's, what are your company goals? What are you trying to achieve? And what, you know, and, and it really, this conversation, I thought that I was doing pretty well. I was doing a million dollars a year, but I, I thought, you know, I, I thought I was doing really well. And, 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 you know, but when you're sitting with somebody with a net worth of a hundred million dollars, it's, you feel really small if you start comparing balance sheets. So, so, you know, I, I'll never forget that moment because it was the moment that my life changed because all of a sudden the blinders came off and I was like, you know what? There is more available for me as a business owner, as a human being. And, and, and so I love what you just said. That is, that is huge. I think that if, if people say, I not. I never say I own a small business. Ever, ever, ever. I don't yeah. do that. I say yeah. I own a business. I'm the CEO, and you know, etc. But because it is, it comes down to that. Is as as minuscule as it may seem. It does come down to that mindset, doesn't it? It really does. And 
things really shifted uh, for me. Um, gosh, I'm not really sure when. I, maybe it'll come to me in this conversation. But for many years, I for 10 years, Ken, I ran this economic development center. And our mission was to support small business people. And our one of our funding sources was the Small Business Administration. Yeah. They funded our SBDC, which is a national network of small business development centers. Right. And so, um, you know, so small business, there was nothing pejorative about small businesses. And especially, by the way, if you knew what the SBA definition of a small business was, and most people don't. But and it depends upon the industry, but in some industries, up to thirty million dollars in revenue what? is a small business. Wow. So yeah, go think of it like that's like mind blowing, right? Wow. And then some industries would be five or seven million dollars, and it it depends, you know. And they had specific criteria to meet their lending programs, but you know, so really, um, I think in all fairness, like. Any business that's under maybe $20, $30 million is really a small business still, but nobody wants to think of themselves as small. So at some point in my language, languaging, somewhere yeah. in the 2000, 2005 period, I stopped referring to me, myself, as a small business consultant because uh, I'm 5'9", and that's not small. <laughs> <laughs> and uh no it, in because it just it doesn't ring well to people people want to think of themselves as being you know of having the potential and i want and you want as a coach to be a stand for people being the largest biggest best version of themselves so and why think small it, you're right it, it's napoleon hill said it i mean it all starts in the mind man like it it yeah it, and it started, let, let me ask you, uh, I, I, I already, I, it's a rhetorical question, but um, do you find that that most of the problems in a business, we'll just say a business, um, Joe Ingram, this is my buddy down in Orange County I was talking about. He, he <laughs> said he's 6'3", so his business is larger. Um, yeah, hope so, but, Joe. You know, you're 6'3", you better be larger. Yeah, right. <laughs> yeah, um, but the the... Do you find that most of the problems in a business um, start at the top? Hundred percent. I it's uh, you know I don't know if this analogy plays very well anymore, but it's like uh, well the fish stinks from the head down. You know the dog <laughs> resembles the dog the dog behavior resembles the dog owner and and their mindset. And yeah, businesses uh, that have problems. Like everything starts with you as the owner. And yeah. if, when you can take full responsibility, 100% responsibility for what's happening in your company, yep. then yep. then you really take ownership. And that's just what's going to be required for you to be successful. So if you have an employee that's out in the field and he's doing um, you know, field work, I don't know, let's say you're doing uh, um, roofing or construction of some kind and yeah and yeah. your field labor is not very good well you know what that's your responsibility your your field supervisor or foreman um is responsible for having that person on his or her crew and you and you hired either the field laborer or the uh, the supervisor or foreman or you know the person above that i mean it all comes back to you like if you've got bad apples on your cart like you need to get rid of those bad apples. So, so yeah, the owner's got to take full responsibility. And that is very empowering, not disempowering. It's very empowering. And yeah. it allows you to then make changes to the way you want your organization to appear. So what are some of the the things that are that are stopping these CEOs or these business owners? What are some of the things that you see that are stopping them from I, and I, I listen, man, I, I've been there. I've been there where I, I knew I had a bad employee or even more than a bad employee. And and I just I ignored it. I, right. I, I knew it was going. I knew it was bad. I knew it was going on, but it wasn't so bad that it was going to put us under. So I just 
ignored it and thought I'll just throw more money at it. I'll, 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 I'll get, maybe if I give them a raise, they'll do better. <laughs> you know, right. so, so I think the answer to your question, the one that comes to my mind is our, our limiting beliefs. Yeah. So we believe, or Ken, maybe you believed, well, I'll throw money at it. It'll fix the problem. Yeah. Well, it's not going to really matter. It's only one person. And, you know, I've got, you know, it's one person out of however many it's, it's not going to really matter. Or, you know, it's not that big a deal. I'll deal with it later. Or, you know, what stops you from growing big, right? Let's get back to the, you know, small versus big, you know, versus yeah. or more successful is, well, I don't have the education. Well, I wasn't, you know, nobody showed me. Well, um, you know, I don't have the knowledge about how to do it. Um, there's a lot of things that can hold us back that limit, yeah. you know, can limit our 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 um, capabilities, or and it's not our capabilities; it's our uh, our potential. It's about realizing our potential, you know. It is. Um, what is a Amen. what is a David? You know, the Navy SEAL David Goggins. Uh, Love the, that. Dude. So what's what's his expression like? If you think you're at your max you know, capacity, you're, you still have 40% more to go or something like no, that. No, you've I mean, only reached 40%. Only reached 40%. Yeah. So, you know, that is, yeah. you know, uh, I like you, David, but that's like non-scientific. I get it. But yeah. look, we, you know, if anyone knows what Navy SEALs have to go through to, to pass and become a Navy SEAL, you know that, you know, it's what, it's when you're at your breaking point, that's when they're really testing you. And that's when he's saying like, you can go further, you can do yeah. more. So, you know, he's right. He's right. I, I had um, Andy Frisella on the show, who's the CEO of, of First Form Fitness, and and he developed this program called 75 Hard. And and it's a oh, my God, dude, it's like ridiculous. Like it, you work out twice a day. Once has to be outside. 45 minutes each workout, a gallon of water every day, a progress picture every day, 10 pages out of a self-help book every day, and you have to follow a diet with no cheat meals, no cheating, nothing. So like, and you do this 75 days in a row, and if you mess up one single step, you start back at day one. <laughs> and oh wow. dear God! And and it's like, well, dude, I can work out twice a day. That's no big deal, right? It's not. It really isn't. You can go for a walk, and that's considered a workout. But dude, doing it at all five of those steps every single day consistently for 75 days. I literally listened to Can't Hurt Me by David Goggins. I listened to it while I was working out probably half of those 75 days because I was like, you know, I need to have somebody in my ear screaming at me. Yeah, this can't, yeah, this can't hurt me, right? I can yeah. do it. I can do it. Yeah. yeah. So, yeah. But, but, you know, I think, so what, you know, basically what you are saying um, is, is is you've found that people are selling themselves short that they're capable of a lot more than yeah than yeah well i think uh you know i think that we're all somewhat conditioned to believe or feel like uh you know this is good enough and this is it this is all it can be or you know i'm happy and and look, that's fine for a lot of people. Look, not everyone's cut out to be an entrepreneur. Not everyone's going to be an Olympic athlete. Not everyone's going to be a Navy SEAL. Right. You know, we need all like all whatever. I don't even have, you know, all colors of the rainbow to make a rainbow. Right. It's yeah. just, yeah. you know, not everyone can be a bright, white, shining light. Not everyone's a gold medal winner. And so... Uh, like entrepreneurs need, need managers, managers need employees. Otherwise, you know, everyone would be working for themselves and nobody would be getting anything done probably. Yeah. Yeah. So, so uh, I think that, uh, you know, it's hard to say where, where it comes from. The, our conditioning, I think probably is a, a lot of it. I mean, I've, uh, I did some of my first breakthrough work um, with Tony Robbins when Love he was that. just getting started in the eighties yeah. and, uh, and I had done already quite a bit of stuff before that. I was in, uh, the first landmark forum that I walked out of with Werner Earhart. I had done peak yeah. performance work. I'd done a lot of personal development work, but you know, having watched Tony in his career 
when yeah. when we were first promoting him, he was doing uh, firewalks with 300 yeah. people, yeah. and now they're you know they're 30,000 or whatever people um, or more, and so he really makes it very clear that he worked at it every single day. He pushed himself. He is constantly testing the limits of his, you know, brainwave, his, you know, physical body. Um, and he makes a lot of sacrifices to do this stuff. Like, yep. frankly, I mean, I looked at his diet to see, okay, what, you know, what did people say Tony eats? And I thought like, wow, that's a really strict regimented diet. And yeah. That's not for me. I'm too much of a foodie. I want to enjoy all that life has to offer. Yeah. I think that's the, like, life is so big, just the way you can live it. I mean, I couldn't live that. Like, I think his his diet is like living really small because in yeah. order for him to work at his peak potential, he yeah. can't be experimenting with foods and stuff that doesn't know how it's going to fit his, hit his body. Right. And I, that's not a knock on him. I'm just saying that if you want to achieve greatness, then you have to get rid of stuff that you're doing that you're not good at or even that you're good at. So you can just focus on your greatness. And, you know, and in my life, greatness is from being able to do many things and many things well. And so I think everyone's got a different approach. And yeah. so, uh, you know, I can't say why small businesses stay small, but it, I, can, I can definitively say that if you want to get your business big, if you want to grow, if you want to be, you know, um, uh, achieve a peak level of fitness, health, yeah. mental, you know, financial, then you need to, like, minimize any other distractions and focus on that one thing. So. I agree a thousand percent with you, man. I, I think, um, you know, I can remember back, I don't know, I, my company was a couple years old. Um, my wife and I had just met and um, and decided to open an office. I, I decided to go all in on my, my company instead of working from home. And here, ironically, now we're all working from home. Um, but you know, I remember I had a handful of employees at the time and this guy, one of my employees walks in, uh, Hey boss, um, there's some guy looking in the windows of your SUV out in the parking lot. And I'm like, well, tell him to get the hell out of here. Well, he's like, well, he's, he's got it blocked with his tow truck. <laughs> I was like, oh no, this is, this is not good. No bueno. And so, so I, I, I mean, you know, you can't talk a repo guy out of taking your car. Right. So it was a humiliating day. I'll never forget that. And, and I remember feeling so small and, and insignificant in this world at that moment. And cause everybody else was getting paid except for me. <laughs> And, and, and so, you know, what about the people? Cause right now, man, over the last, you know, we went from a two week, two week shutdown to flatten the curve to we're in month eight or nine yeah, now. Yeah, yeah. And, and, you know, it's gotten a little out of control. What about the people who are suicides are have skyrocketed? I mean, it's, it's crazy what's going on in the world. What about those people that are at the end of their rope that are like, I've tried everything. I don't know what else to do. They repoed my car. Electric's getting shut off. You know, things are really, really bad. What do you say to somebody in, in a situation like that to kind of maybe help them get through it, understanding that it's, it's going to be okay? Well, you're asking me because I, out of a personal curiosity, because this is not anything that I have any professional expertise in. Fortunately, yeah. my clients are not at the end of their rope. Like, yeah. you know, like, hey, the IRS is coming in three days yeah. to put the padlocks on the door. Can you help yeah. us figure out how to get current on our back payroll taxes? Yeah. Um, yeah, I don't specialize in those. Right, situations. right, but, right. But I think, you know, it's an act of humanity. And, uh, we have to do our best to reach out to our brothers and sisters, mothers and fathers, you know, yeah. 
sons and daughters and extend an olive branch and help them uh, where we can. I mean, there's a fine line, by the way, Ken, between enabling someone and helping someone. Yeah. Um, and you have to, you know, is by giving them. So the homeless person that's, you know, sitting on the corner holding a handout, you know, yeah. for, for some money. It's a difficult question. Like, are you enabling that behavior and what behavior are you enabling? Are you enabling them to go buy drugs and alcohol? Um, or are you helping them to get off the streets? You know, are you, you know, are you helping them to get a bed and, and uh, maybe, you know, a leg back into the world? So, you know, I think that uh, unfortunately, one of the greatest ills of our society and it's not just a capitalist society. It's, it's a, I think it's a worldwide problem, but um, homelessness, um, mental illness, I, I think it's particularly bad in this country, particularly the mental illness, you know, that we're not doing what we can to help people and that we're just, in, we're incarcerating most of those that we don't know what to do with because we closed down a lot of the mental uh, hospitals. Yeah. Um, and it's a, uh, you know, people who, um, you know, are one paycheck away. I mean, they say that the, what, 50% or something of Americans, if they got a bill for $500 or more, would be a struggle to figure out how to pay for it. I mean, this is a catastrophic statement about yeah. the failures of our society. And, uh, you know, you don't want to probably get me started because there's still a bit of an activist uh, back in me. But, yeah. you know, the distribution of wealth, which is a sociological cycle uh, problem, so sociological problem is pretty extreme. You know, when when the top 100 families in this country or top 100 wealthiest people have as much money as like the bottom 80 percent, like that's a problem. You know, I mean, to build a strong but society, you need a strong middle class. And, and it's been eroding, I think. I, I, I don't disagree. I think the middle class is definitely eroding. But I, I think, you know, you said earlier, um, talking about taking responsibility. And, and you know, I, I'm a high school dropout. I, I left in 12th grade and said, I'm, and I've made millions and millions of dollars in my life. Um, and I've had many college graduates work for me. I've had people with PhDs work for me that couldn't pour piss out of a boot if the instructions were on the heel. So, you know, I think that one of the things that I look at is, is Jack Canfield's book, The Success Principles. The mm -hmm. very first principle he writes about is take 100% responsibility for everything in your life. And, and I do agree with you. I think there is a huge disconnect. But I don't think that we punish the wealthy. The wealthy are wealthy because most of them worked at some point, generationally perhaps, but worked their faces off to get there. I think that we need to educate people. And, and I'm asking your opinion too, but yeah. doesn't it start with educating people like, man, there's so much more available for you. You don't have to stay stuck in this poor mindset. I think that, uh, I mean... So I think that not all of us are born equal. And so like some of us are born without the, you know, we have physical limitations. We have mental, maybe mental health limitations. So I don't know that everyone's cap like we're not all, it's not a level playing field. If it were, everyone would be given education and everyone could theoretically get better. But um, there's good and there's evil in the world. There's, uh, there's people who are able and disabled and, so, um, you know, I think that the job, and this starts to get into a political conversation, but like the job of government is to provide, partly is to provide needed goods and services that everyone's going to use, you know, highways, uh, um, you know, transportation systems, et cetera, you know, water, things like that. But then it's also to provide somewhat of a safety net for those people who, just can't seem to lift themselves up. And look, I know welfare has always been criticized as a, as a, um, as a poor system, the way it's administrated or, or even designed, but not everyone can, can make it. 
and not everyone's got the the tools. Um, not everyone has the access to the education. Um, you know, some of us are born into communities where uh, maybe inner city communities of color, where they're just you know what's surrounding them is not this thinking of like, hey, here, read a book. It's more like you know, buy a TV set, and if you have to steal them, you know, steal to get the money to get the TV set, you know, but that's not what makes people uh, better. And so it's, you know, I, I'm at no person to be able to solve societal ills. Yeah. But uh, like everyone, I probably have an opinion on it. But I mean, these are big challenges. And I mean, this is what we ought to be debating, I think. And I think to some degree we are, but uh, it's become very polarized in, in our country. Uh, yeah. It doesn't feel like there's a middle anymore. It feels like there's we have two extremes that are yelling yeah. at each other and creating drama yeah. in the world. Um, you know, the United States has become like a world, like the world stage for everyone to look at and and maybe laugh at, laugh at to some degree. Well, but you know, I I received a, a news article from somebody this morning. France is falling apart this today. Uh, Literally, like. Yeah. There's a mass exodus. Yeah, there the people in Paris are like, nope, we're yeah. out of here. This is this is crazy, and and, yeah. and you know I think that um, there's there's obviously a global um, pandemic that that has nothing to do with coronavirus. There's a global pandemic of of some sort of crazy energy that's going on globally. I mean, people are you know and it's well, it's showing it's showing well in the u.s for sure yeah well it's sort of like uh you know the scientists versus the uh you know the and it's not the economists yeah. but uh um let's see what charles coachman wrote our middle class has eroded due to companies outsourcing millions of jobs for higher profits and our government helped to underwrite those moves well i i don't believe in that exactly but um i think that the outsourcing of jobs is you know we have a worldwide economy now and we have outsourced a lot of positions and roles um i don't really buy into the notion that the government has done this uh, i mean i use virtual assistants that are in india and pakistan and yeah. um the government hasn't facilitated that in any way right. but um yeah but it's available it's inexpensive labor yeah. And so I guess my argument back to Charles would be, you know, let's become, you know, so that creates opportunities for people to be entrepreneurs here. And, you know, we're, we lead the world in, um, in knowledge workers. Peter yeah. Drucker wrote about this in The Economist uh, yeah. 20 years ago, you know, that we're moving from an industrial age economy where, you know, things are manufactured here to yeah. where things are made overseas. And if China, um, Taiwan, Asia countries, Vietnam, you know, if they can do things cheaper, faster, better, then, you know, it's time for us to rethink like what, you know, what we're what we're doing. And I, I get it. Look, people have made enormous investments, capital, equipment, you know, real estate investments. And I know you guys feel it really heavily in Ohio, where you have a very strong manufacturing, uh, you know, belt, and some of those businesses are not that viable anymore. So it seems manufacturing is only for what's immediately needed, you know, more custom, more uh, tailored. But yeah, it's you know, it's, there's there are shifts in the economy that are always happening, and if you're not staying on top of those shifts, yeah, then. Uh, you know, then the spoils go to those who, who are, you know, I, I, it's kind of one of my, probably my biggest life purpose is to wake people up to their, their potential. And, and, you know, I, I talk about it often. I I'm a recovered alcoholic with 18 years sober. Um, but prior to that, thank you. But, but prior to that, I wasn't and <laughs> it wasn't pretty. And, and, you know, um, I grew up in incredibly poor, the white ghetto. And, and, you know, I, I just decided maybe it's, I, maybe I was born with a, a, a gene or something that like, cause I can't work for somebody else. I've tried. Mm -hmm. Um, 
and and I don't understand. Like at seven or eight years old, I was going door to door selling lawn mowing services and and figuring out how to make money so I could have the cool clothes like the the wealthier kids did. And you know, I I um I don't understand why people don't tap into their greatness. It, it really does drive me crazy watching people just suffer. And and you know, the Buddhists have a saying, and 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 it's it, it's this, um, you know pain in life is inevitable, but suffering is optional. And, 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 and I love that because we don't have to suffer, man. I think that you're the kind of person from what I'm reading, maybe not, I don't know, but if, if, if shit was hitting the fan in your life and you couldn't pay your bills or things were bad, you would figure something out. You would go cold call, whatever you had to do. I'm sure I've been in that position. I've had to. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I was born of, of privilege, but there were times in my life where my back was up against the wall. And, sure. You know, and I thank God that I have the response yeah. ability, you know, and I, I get back to like, I have uh, mentally, physically, emotionally, um, I'm really fortunate that I don't have the, the addict gene. I don't have any particular mental illness. I suffer a little bit from anxiety, which is general. And, uh, you know, but that's, that fuels, uh, great behavior. I I think some of my most successful clients or, you know, entrepreneurs, um, have clear ADD or ADHD because it fuels that, that, uh, that entrepreneurial spirit. But yeah, unfortunately, I don't know, Ken, you know, when you were seven or eight, like, where were the other kids and why weren't they doing something else to hustle up money and, and make right. ends meet? I mean, I don't know. I just don't know the answer. We're just not all born with the same brain chemistry maybe, or we're yeah. not wired. I mean, you know, like the alcoholism or whatever the ism was that you were, you know, yeah, afflicted alcohol. with. Yeah. So um, like that was a bless. that was your blessing and your mm-hmm. curse. Mm-hmm. And you had to get over that to get to who you are today. Yeah. Um, if true. you know, otherwise you would have crashed and burned at some point later down the line. And well, and, yeah. and I say that all the time. It, it's, it's the same thing. Like, it's like, if you, you know, I, I, I do a lot of push-ups, and as mm-hmm. a result, I'm, I, I, I have some guns. Right. And, and, but like, you can't get the guns without going through the pain. You right. have to do the work. And, and, and that's the part, that I think a lot of people miss is you, you, you've got to put in the work. Like I said, when you've been in that situation, you're like, Oh sh- crap. <laughs> maybe, yep. you did, maybe you didn't say it the way I say it, but maybe yep. you said, Oh crap, I got to find a client that's willing to pay me some money for, for an exchange of value here. So, you know, I, I think that it, dude, what you're doing, I, I, I love it, man. I, well, why don't you talk a little bit about the book that you wrote too? I'd sure. love, love to hear it, but it looks sure. like you had something else you wanted to say about what I yeah, was. No, I was, yeah, I was just going to say that I think like, I think everyone has the opportunity and, get, and gets that wake up call. Not yeah. everyone responds to that wake up call. Yeah. Um, you know, I, I just got a text from someone asking, he's, you know, he's congratulating me on my book and I asked him how he was doing. And he said, you know, I'm, I'm recovering from my accident and uh, I'm, you know, I'm working on myself. I'm getting better. I mean, some people have to have, you know, near-death experiences to uh, to recover. And some yeah. people, I always thought, like the great rock and roll players, they all died when they were 27. You know, Jim yeah. Morrison, J- Janis Joplin, Jimi Hendrix. Uh, yeah. Um, yeah. And uh, it seems like they just played all out, and then they just died. They, they died, yeah. you know, yeah. but they gave it their best and we're still living and loving and, and thinking like what legends they were. So they, they right. left a legacy. So I yeah. guess this yeah. is my legacy is I've written a book. Uh, it's called Disruptive Successor. It's a guide to driving growth in your family's business. And I am somewhat obsessed with family business. I, I was the product of a very large, successful men's clothing business based in Philadelphia and New York City. Uh, My family built it up. Uh, Everyone in the family was employed in it. I was never employed in it because it was sold 
and uh, at, uh, before I was really in my 20s and, and could have joined it. Um, I think it would have been a great experience had I been able to participate in that business. Um, it would have been a fourth generation family business. So uh, about 30 years ago, I happened upon you know my calling, which was to start consulting entrepreneurs. Most of them were family businesses. And what I've done with this book is I've taken the knowledge that I've gathered over the past 20 or maybe 30 years, put it into a book about that was written for next generation leaders of a family business who want to two to 10x the business and need help with the succession uh, planning, the transfer uh, of ownership and leadership from the founder uh, to the next gen leader. And I, I give them basically a playbook for how to scale up that business. And so uh, that's my passion. And you know, I think that'll lead me into working with more multi-generational families as well um, and, and passing the torch. Because uh, for those of you who are not aware, uh, family businesses are responsible for two thirds of the GDP in this country. They employ close to 70% of all employees in this country. So it's, you know, families grow faster than businesses. Someone said to me last night and family businesses are like the dominant force and, and don't be fooled by thinking like all those public companies are not family businesses about a third of them are still family owner controlled. So, yeah. So yeah. Interesting. Great opportunity. Really excited about it. Uh, disruptive successor. You can go to my website, disruptive successor, download a chapter, um, buy the book. It links All to the Amazon. Gold Hill group isn't where they go. You can go to the Gold Hill group. You'll find the book there, or you can find the book at disruptive successor.com either place. Okay. Yeah. I, here. I thought I was being slick putting up your, uh, <laughs> yeah. Well, there, yeah, there's a link to the book there and it'll take you to that web page. Oh yeah. Here. I just, yep. Yeah, I just found it. Just found it. I'll put that up instead. How about that? Perfect. Yeah. Um, so, so what are, um, for anybody watching right now that owns a business small or otherwise, <laughs> what are, what are some final words of wisdom or advice that you would, you would share with them that, that could, could dramatically impact their, their life? Well, so I'm, I'm looking at this new, uh, I'm going to quote from my screensaver right here because um, I just have a picture of myself. Uh, looks like yours. I'm standing on, uh, I guess, what is 6th Avenue in Manhattan, and I'm, I'm superimposed. I'm larger than – I'm as tall as the buildings, and I'm uh, looking at, you know, you, and I'm saying, you know, what, you know, what would your business be if you could – dominate your industry you know who would you be you know who would you have to become and uh if you wanted to dominate your industry dominate your market dominate whatever it is your neighborhood your geog the geography that you're playing in like who do you have to become to be that person and to have that business and start thinking along those lines start thinking big and you know, it'll elevate you. It'll elevate your your thinking. It'll elevate uh, the people that you surround yourself with, and and uh, your it'll elevate your vibration, your energy level. Uh, it'll probably improve your physicality and your strength. So, who would you be if you were running a business that was dominating your industry, your market, um, and become that person? Love it. I love it. Jonathan, thank you for, for coming on and sharing your, your story, your wisdom, um, your insights. Everybody go over to disruptivesuccessor.com. It's scrolling across the bottom there. Um, and grab a copy of Jonathan's book. It, I'm sure it's on Amazon, right? Yep. hundred percent. Yeah. I appreciate you coming on. Is there, is there a place on social media that you're most active? I'm most active on LinkedIn and uh, Jonathan Goldhill, the Goldhill Group. Um, 
Yeah, and you can always direct message me there, and I'm pretty quick to respond usually. Awesome, awesome. Well, stay with me. I'm gonna I'm gonna end the live stream, but if you would stay with me for a minute, we can chat and finish up. Thank you to everybody who's been on here and watched and shared this out. Thank you for any shares that we got. I appreciate that greatly. So, Jonathan, thank you so much, and you have a fantastic weekend. Thanks, Ken. All right, we'll see you guys later.